Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music insight and opinion. Today's date is August 30th, 2021. God. Welcome. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Steve. Greetings. So how you doing, man? Well, weather's a little weird, though. It was just like 90... You know what I also don't like about the weather? You turn on the news. Yeah. It says, you know, it's 97 out there. But it feels like a hundred and two. Just it feels like a hundred. It's a hundred and two then. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Like just because like, this real feel shit's fucking. Yeah, goofy. I don't like this real feel, especially in the summertime because, and even in the wintertime. You know what I mean? I open up my app real quick. Okay, it says ninety. I always have to scroll down to the feels like because ninety is gonna feel like a hundred and something. Exactly. And the wintertime same thing was just like thirty-seven degrees, but it's a feel like of eighteen. That's the difference between gloves and no gloves. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Gotta be prepared. I'm really sick of it. <laughs> Weathermen getting paid buku fucking money to just give me some like subjective temperature. Yeah, and it's just like that's the only job in the world where you can consistently be wrong and still keep your job. Well, the best thing is too, I play fantasy football. Yeah. Coincidentally, I just had my fantasy football draft yesterday. And um yeah, that's another thing. You could fucking just be like, hey, start this guy. He's a fucking, he, he's a bona fide stud wide receiver. He's going to be really good. And then dude goes out there and has like two points for you. <laughs> that guy's still getting paid a fucking paycheck. And yeah. he's going to be on the next week telling you the same bullshit. Exactly. But they're right once. Raise. Give him a raise. <laughs> never bring it up again. I was never, never wrong. Yep. <laughs> Unbelievable. <clears throat> so, um, the past speak if you found anything new or interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Definitely found something. Yeah. The uh, individual, and this has obviously been somewhat viral depending on what you follow on social media sites. Um, and it's a great value thing if you decide to use such social media sites to find this information because it's plentiful. Uh, but the kid from the Nirvana album cover, never mind. Yeah. Uh, suing the band uh, for a settlement of $150,000, I believe, for quote unquote child pornography. Uh, due to the album content of what's on the album cover, we, you know, it's a very iconic cover. So, oh, yeah. I don't need to go into the description. Um, it was even really funny. Like, Chris Novoselic posted this thing where it was a picture and it was like the new Nirvana cover, the new Nevermind cover. And it was just the <laughs> same exact thing, just, but except the, just the dollar bill floating in the pool. <laughs> um, but it's crazy because, like, that kid has taken so many different, uh, renditions and, like, you know, photos of that yep. album cover, recreating it throughout his entire life. And he's going to wait until what? Now he's an adult taking advantage of cancel culture and all this different bullshit. Exactly. And then this is like, it goes way deeper in my mind to that sense. Cause then you start to think about all the things from the past that were totally acceptable. And in this position, I wouldn't be doubtful if the way the law is structured that Nirvana would have to settle on this because I sure of, hope not. I hope not too, because it's like integrity, it's the art of it. It's mm -hmm. you know, granted, your parents were the one who put you in this position. 
you should be suing those fucking people at the end of the day. Exactly. All right. Nirvana didn't fucking say, hey, we're forcing you to do this. Your parents signed some bullshit contract because they weren't aware of how this big this album was going to be. Yep. And now you realize, guess what? Why didn't you do this five years ago? Yeah, exactly. Why didn't you do this in any other moment when you've became a full-blown adult? You waited. He's until 30 an, now. Exactly. You waited until an opportunity where you thought, guess what? The way society is today, mm-hmm. there's going to be some level of sympathy to me in the judicial system that I can possibly get a settlement on this. And granted, you know what? If he wins that shit, dude, all street cred out the door. Yeah. I don't care who your fucking friends are. Like, if they still are your friends, good fucking for them. But yeah. bottom line, like, if I'm a Nirvana fan, which I pretty sure I would be if I was friends with this dude and he pulled some shit like this. Oh, I'd be yeah. like, yo, look at all the fucking times you redid the album. Like, you're exactly. a fucking I think scumbag. he did it as early as, like, last year. Yeah. He did, yeah, he did one fairly re- with the long hair. Yeah, like, exactly. he look, and he looks like Kurt, which is even funnier. Like, he tries to have, like, a Kurt Cobain yeah. image. He tries. Yeah, he really does, man. It's sad. He even has Nevermind tattooed across his Nuh-uh. collarbone. Get the fuck yeah, out of here. And the newest photo, like, that he did. I never pool, even noticed. Nevermind across his collarbone. I, I mean, obviously with this, it, it's just ridiculous, but it has span, is, uh, you know, it spawned a whole new thing in meme culture, which I think is so funny. Great, yeah. Like, uh, it was like the little girl in the corn album cover suing corn for, yeah. you know, uh, uh, what was it? Fear of playgrounds. Yeah, so I the like, one that I posted the other day too. The the translucent angel lady from In Utero is yeah. also filing a suit against Nirvana. Um, but it's great too because like obviously in morbid culture with the memes, it's funny too. Like that one thing I sent you where it's like you know Kurt Cobain hasn't responded on these allegations, and I'm a little fucking distraught by it. Yeah, I'm done supporting him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but no, it's funny because like even Chris Novoselic and him post about it and like being satirical and. I mean, at the end of the day, if, you know, that kid wins the suit, loses the suit, doesn't matter. It's a lose-lose for him. Mm-hmm. You know, great. Go have your 150 grand. If you're struggling that bad to begin with, you're probably going to be broke in a couple of years anyway. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, but that's the most interesting thing I think that has happened <laughs> since the last time. We it's met. just, it's, it's just fucking crazy. Like, you're on literally one of the most iconic album covers of all time and yeah. you're going to fucking sue them over pennies. Yeah. Dave Grohl should go over that dude's house, kick him right in the nuts. Well, I mean, it's Dave Grohl. You know? Yeah, he'd just pay somebody to do yeah, it. Yeah, he would. He'd yeah. make a movie about it he first. Would. He would make it. Dude, this is going to become a documentary. The Nirvana Kid. You heard it here first. Dave Grohl's going to settle on the $150,000, but he's going to say, instead of saying on this suit, I'm actually going to pay you $150 so we can do a documentary on the lawsuit and what led to it. Yeah. Give him an opportunity to revamp. Back in 1990, this band had no clue what they were doing when they were in the studio. <laughs> and then Nevermind, the following year comes. Like, you know what I mean? It would yeah. be a whole story of Nevermind and then leading up to this lawsuit. Yeah, exactly. I'll give you 150 grand just to do a documentary. With <clears throat> That's so And funny. then Dave Grohl winds up making a million dollars off of it anyway. Exactly, because you know people will buy it. Absolutely. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, As far as my new and interesting goes, I believe it was a couple months ago, a couple months back, John Mayer released a new album, uh, which yeah. I was completely unaware of until the other day. It's called Sob Rock. And... From looking like, at the album cover, like a sob S A A B. No S O B. Like like oh, crying. Sob, like, like okay, okay. <laughs> I thought I was like that would be the weirdest thing ever. It's just a picture of him standing. Yes, yeah, in front of like a yeah. you know a nine thirty five or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. Q. <laughs> Unbelievable. No, um, it's called Sob Rock, and um, it's funny because like I looked at the album cover and it's like very eighties, like it's fucking like baby blue with like pink like uh like pink like uh like. What's the word I'm looking for here? Fuchsia. Like highlights. Okay. It's like pink highlights like around everything and yeah. like it's real like 80s look. Vibrant. Yeah. 
And um, the music actually isn't bad at all. It's It does have an 80s vibe as well. Yeah, John Mayer's, a ve- we've talked about this, very underrated mm-hmm. in guitar culture. <clears throat> I think it's because he follows into that kind of real mainstream poppy alternative sense. Um, and his name, it just rung a bell to like teenagers. Exactly. And really hyped out. Makes them want to scream at the top of their lungs. Yeah. But he, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, very underrated. Yeah. Very underrated. And, um, you know, I listened to half the album already. I, I actually really did like it. I mean, John Mayer hasn't put out anything that I really disliked. I mean, obviously besides like the super mega hit shit that hits the radio, but yeah, as a whole, I, I do like this album so far. I, I plan on listening to the rest of it today. I'll have to check that Probably out. Probably in between episodes yeah we have a week yeah we got a week we can get a week to get that <laughs> yeah absolutely but um yeah so it'd be really weird if i was wearing the same shirt in the next episode too wouldn't that yeah right. but i have a washing machine so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i have a washing machine here too awesome baby all yeah cool could all work yeah <laughs> on this day in music history on this day in music history August 30th, 1969, the Birmingham band Earth changed its name when the lead singer Ozzy Osbourne announces on stage that the band's new name is Black Sabbath. The band had played NIB, The Wizard, Black Sabbath, and Warning that night. On that night, history was made. Also in history, the first U.S. date that was ever played by Black Sabbath, right down the road, Glassboro State University, now known as Rowan. Yes, just sir. Just a stone's throw away from this studio. Yup. Yup. Literally a stone's throw away. So just know it, audience. Black Sabbath, one of the most iconic metal bands. They came to the United States. Where do they come first? To our town here. Little did they know it's going to be the home to one of the <laughs> premier music podcasts and podcasting. Quite a coincidence. Actually, I, I think I remember, what was it, season one? Yeah. Where, like, Michael was talking about playing Glassboro State University. Yep. And we came up to the conclusion that him and Ozzy probably pissed in the same urinal they at one point. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they definitely did. Michael's going to call him and be like, that was false. Michael definitely probably stepped in, like, remnants of, like, you know, Tony Iommi's cocaine that he probably spilled <laughs> in the bathroom, too. He wa- Michael walked in. There was some, like, like residual Ozzy piss on the floor, mm-hmm. like, 20 years later, and his shoes started, like, on melting. Show. Like, uh, yeah, if you scraped like, one of Michael's <laughs> shoes for DNA back then, they could probably trace it back to somebody, at least in Black Sabbath. Yeah, in the Black Sabbath camp. Yep. <laughs> yep. Going forward to 1970, Jimi Hendrix rocks the Isle of Wight Festival in his last British concert appearance. The show is plagued by technical problems with the guitarist amplifier picking up signals from security radios. Other artists appearing on stage include Free, Joan Baez, and the Moody Blues. I like the Moody Blues. Hmm. We don't really talk about them. Shame. Festival closes with a dawn performance by Richie Havens, which, uh, who also opened at Woodstock. Um, you know, it's really interesting. There was like a big thing with Jimi Hendrix, um, even with British television. I forget which show. I want to say Ed Sullivan, somebody that was doing like British broadcasting. It was shortly after Cream disbanded mm-hmm. and Jimi Hendrix covered Sunshine of My Love. But, oh, shit. It, but they treated it like it was a satirical fashion because it was right after Cream ended and Cream was like iconic British rock. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And he got banned from the show as a result for covering a Cream song. It was like right after their disbandment. So yeah, Jimi Hendrix and, uh, in Britain wasn't too popular apparently. No. But which is great because he was popular fucking over here. 
Yeah, exactly. It's all that really we need to protect. We don't need the Beatles, all right? We, <laughs> fucking Beatles we have a Hendrix. We have a Hendrix. <laughs> it's like that scene in the Avengers. We have a Hulk. Exactly. Hulk, we have a Hendrix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 1989. Never do business with family. Billy Joel oh, yeah. fires his manager, who is also his ex-wife's brother. Joel sues him for $90 million, setting off a series of acrimonious yeah acrimonious acrimonious court battles um we don't need to really get too into this because we already we know the yeah we know the billy Billy joel Joel is yeah very much a general consensus here on this show and even with our former cast member that actually it was right around this time period where he really changed this is this was this was yeah this was it this is when he really just said fuck everybody that got me here Mm -hmm. yep Going forward three years in 92, Nirvana headlined the Reading Festival in England on the bill is L7, whose frontware, Danita Sparks, throws a, quote-unquote, used tampon into the crown. Very edgy of L7. I do like L7, of course. Super edgy. Um, Nirvana's, so growing up when I got into like the idea of like live music to really separate an artist from me. Yeah. Reading Festival was always, always like my Nirvana show. Yeah. But then I saw live at the Paramount. And bro, they're live at the Paramount is fucking phenomenal. Oh, it's stupid. Dude. Yeah, it's so fucking good. This it was really cool because this um show in particular was right when like Kurt had gotten out of like rehab, um and like that whole incident happened and you know shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Paramount show is just, in my opinion, like you're getting like Nirvana before Kurt really started to become a little more anti you know record label and yeah, anti like fan base and, exactly yeah. where he kind of became a little more like let me perform my songs to like in a goofier sense as opposed to like yeah exactly you know, we're really passionate about these songs especially like the song sliver like it was already a goofy song to begin with but then when he performed it especially in writing i think in um you know it just you know what i mean like there's just so many songs you want to hear live by this band and when he performs it a certain way it's like mm-hmm. takes away from it because you understand why he's doing it yeah. But yeah, that this show and Paramount are like absolutely like good, great, you know, like you want to get a good look at Nirvana for what they are. Oh, 100%. Both shows are very good. Moving forward here to 1996, uh, Liam Gallagher flies to America to rejoin his Oasis bandmates on the What's the Story Morning Glory tour. Ugh. The band played the first four shows with his brother Noel taking vocal duties after the singer watched their MTV Unplugged performance from the Wings. Claiming to be suffering from a throat infection. No, they suck. Who, Oasis? Yeah, just like the brothers, like what, yeah, they, they were like, just very as, pretentious. As people, they suck. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause like no, Oasis. Cause maybe. Like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest with you, like even Wonderwall, Champagne Supernova, all the hit songs, I still like those songs. Yeah. I think they're great songs. And at the end of the day, as overplayed as they were, this is how I always look at it. If I could write a song like that, I'd be fucking proud of it. Oh, yeah. Anybody. We talk about that shit all the time. Absolutely. That's why it's like I never take away from that. But I forget what documentary I watched on them and like... Supersonic. Was it Supersonic? Yep. Oh, yes. (laughs) Another reference back to season one. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Remember when we used to do movie reviews? Yeah, that was a thing once. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, Going forward. Back when our shows were an hour and a half long. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Going forward here, uh, 13 years. Tool releases Fear Inoculum. Their fifth studio album and first in 13 years. Their previous album was 10,000 Days in 2006. I said fucking 13 years. It's 23 years. What the fuck am I talking about? 
I forget how old we are sometimes. From yeah. 96 to 2000. Jesus Christ, dude. It's fucking crazy. Ugh. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> we talk about this too, of course, because Tool is like basically one of my favorite bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is no, no, no secret. And I remember when this album came out, we obviously talked about it on air. And I remember I was, how stoked you were. Pretty fucking stoked about it. But now I've had a year, <laughs> over a year. Uh, and I'm going to say this. It's Tool's worst album. I don't think it's a bad album, but it's Tool's worst album. Yeah. Because what I actually winded up doing is Undertow I had already listened to thoroughly. Enema and Lateralis both on repeat multiple times in my lifetime. Yeah. Those are just both flawless albums. But 10,000 Days and even Opiate I kind of underlooked for a period of time, but I went back and, you know what I mean? Even, you know, the Salva, um, um, that album, the live album, like all good. But 10,000 Days I always like, just kind of listen to. Yeah. So what I did was, is like, I really wanted to know. So I went back and really, really listened to 10,000 days. And then like, I already had been listening to fear inoculum quite over and over because I was like gay as fuck for it for yeah. a long time. Um, and 10,000 days, man, way better. Mm-hmm. It's just way better. I think fear inoculum is absolutely their worst in the discography. Maynard, you can tell like he's not able to hit where he used to hit vocally. So no. he created a lot of the songs around him to develop more of like an instrumental atmosphere as opposed to him showing off his vocal ability. The instrumentals are cool. Very cool. Like it is, it's a cool concept of an album. Some of Danny Carey's best drumming. 100%. Yeah. I remember hearing it for the first time because I think, I think we had like a pre-released version of it can't or something like that. that. Yeah, I can't, can't. Yeah, I can't confirm or deny. I wasn't even it. sure if it was the whole thing. Well, actually that, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, this isn't real. Yeah, there's no fucking way this is real. <laughs> my my friend knew a guy that knew a guy or something of that nature. I think that was the story. Yeah, and when I heard it, I was like, I was like, no, no, there's no way, there's no fucking way this is real. Yeah. And it was like I listened to it on YouTube, and I was like, okay, I guess this because this was real. Those were the songs. <laughs> yeah, Google Drive wound up into my possession somehow from a yeah. guy that knew a guy, as I mentioned, and uh, but yeah, like. The like the instrumental work is so good. Like Adam Jones, like the whole story behind that was like Paul Deano, or uh, not Paul Deano. Um, what the fuck is his name? Paul Diamore, um, the original bassist from Undertow, um, wanted to be the guitarist. And I've mentioned this before. Like Adam Jones, obviously was a guitarist, and they yeah. split ways as a result. And Adam Jones is just a very talented musician, but he's not like a phenomenal guitarist. He, yeah, and he's even outwardly spoken about that. Um, and the and like I said. Justin Chancellor, phenomenal, like the, all the instruments, but it sucks because Tool is always about having all four of them being able to express all of their talent simultaneously. Exactly. And the album lacks Maynard to such a point where they have to overcompensate and thus making the songs a little bit more generically Tool. You yeah. know what I mean? Like if you go through Lateralis and Enema, like there's just so many different fucking emotions throughout the whole album. Yep. It's heavy, it's soft, it's dark, it's uplift, like it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I don't really get that from this at all. Yeah. It's just like, just stagnant. Very stagnant. And time. even like the toughest song, which was Temptus, but Temptus, like with the seven. Yeah, know? yeah. Even that like song gets like hailed as like this, that's tool. But dude, you put that song against any fucking similar song on their previous albums, it doesn't nope. come anywhere as near to like as good as it was. And especially when you had as much time as they had. 13 years. Like, fucking Maynard was out there doing shit with Pucifer and fucking, you know, Perfect Circle. Perfect Circle. So you can't tell me, like, dude was, like, on hiatus, like, making wine as, you know, no, a hermit. He, like, he was out there, torn and shit. What do you think? 
Decemphist? <laughs> Does that compare to any of the previous tool releases? <laughs> Was Maynard really making wine the entire time? <laughs> Can I just on our social media accounts? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, <laughs> going back to Nirvana here for a minute. Oh, I mean... This is kind of like a fucked up, goofy, try to get to a segue of what we're going to talk about. Speaking of Nirvana. Speaking of Nirvana. Yeah. Speaking of baby dicks. (laughs) Um, one of Nirvana. (laughs) Yeah. One of Nirvana's most like hailed albums is obviously Unplugged in New York. Yes. Probably one of the key tracks off that is Man Who Sold the World. Yes. For those of you that don't know or haven't listened to the very, very end of the song, you would never know that it was a cover, a David Bowie cover at that. The greatest thing about that album. Cue up the video where he goes, this is a David Bowie song. The greatest thing about that, too, is surrounded by that is also arguably one of my favorite covers as well, which is Where Did You Sleep Last Night, mm. covered by Lead Belly. I like Lake of Fire, Lake too. of Fire's great. Jesus Don't Want Me for a Sunbeam, yep. which is great because that song they played multiple, like the Paramount show. That's the song they open up with, but in an electrical, like, oh, shit. you know, tour setting, which is great. Like they carried a lot of these songs around. But the man who sold the world cover, I think, you know, he mentions the whole thing about Lead Belly prior. He comes out with the meat puppets when they do, um, you know, Omi and fucking Lake of Fire yeah. and shit. Um, but that the man who sold the world cover, the first time ever hearing that, it's interesting because then I had to like go back after when he talked about, you know, that was a David Bowie song. <laughs> I had to go back and be like, holy shit. Like, cause I like David Bowie, but I never heard that song. Yeah. Even though that's literally one of his album titles. <laughs> <laughs> no fucking clue. Because he's the greatest hits guy for me. You know what I mean? Well, back then you couldn't hum it. Yeah, it's true. Couldn't at all. Probably do it now, though. <laughs> the audience isn't deserving of that. Um, but yeah, that is an excellent, excellent fucking cover. To keep that on covers that I didn't know by Nirvana as well. Um, and I think what we should do here is kind of lay out the ground rules of what we're doing to begin with. Yeah. We're kind of doing a remaster, would you call it? Yeah, re- yeah, it's a remaster. We're doing a remaster of, or a re-release, and it's it's interesting because we we had a covers episode, and I was pissed because there were several covers that I didn't even particularly mention that like I should have mentioned, mm-hmm. especially like the deeper ones. We already have our general consensus are probably our favorite cover song. We'll obviously save that for last. Yeah, we'll just get really fucking emotional over that <laughs> one. Um, but love buzz, yeah, love buzz, love buzz, and I didn't even know the band Shocking Blue. Never even heard of them. I knew it was a cover. I didn't know. I didn't who know it was dude, by. I didn't know this. I've been listening to Nirvana now since like I got into them really big in high school. Obviously, yeah. I'd heard them before that, but you know, a certain individual got me really into them in high school. And Love Buzz was always like a standout song on Bleach, mm-hmm. dude. It wasn't until like last year or something that I found out that this was a cover. <laughs> and and it's interesting because again, I'm a big fan of like going back and hearing the original. Same thing with like D Seven by the Wipers. Yeah, that was covered by Nirvana on the self title compilation album. And Nirvana, like, not to get too hung up on them with this whole segment, but Nirvana is very good in making covers their own. Oh, yeah. Without 100%. losing the yep. integrity of the original song. That's one thing I could definitely give the Nirvana. 100%. So, so good, man. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Love Buzz was definitely a great, great song. Let's kind of keep it in uh, grunge alternative a little bit. Uh, one that, one that I remember that I did not bring up and I always wanted to was the Black Diamond cover by oh. The Replacements. Yes. 
Dude, that honest to God, like to this day, is still one of my favorite covers. Which of is all hilarious time. because just recently I was I listening to Let It Be, baby. and uh, that song came on. Yeah, and I forgot about it. So like again, I have this one recurring playlist where every time I just have things on shuffle or just listening to certain artists. Um, I'll just add a song to it. So the playlist itself is just all over the fucking place. But yeah. it's all singular songs that I listen to from, and Black Diamond came on. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, Siri, add that to my, you know, fucking yeah. my playlist. Cause <laughs> dude, that song is so like, they do it so fucking well. I think well. that is, I, I would consider that to be a better version of that song than the original Kiss. 100%. Version. 100%. Because Without the Kiss version is good. Um, but yeah, the Black Diamond, the replacements cover is 100% I will listen to that over and over yes. again. I think 100%. that's the one thing we can say about this episode that'll different is, or differ, um, is that the covers that we're probably pointing out, in our opinion, are more enjoyable than the original. Yes. That's how we can narrow this down to be a little bit on the remastered side. Exactly. Kind of like with Metallica releasing their fucking anniversary, they're giving something new to the fans, which they probably don't want. Yeah. But they're giving it to it anyway. That's what we're doing here. I'd rather take a re-release of like Garage Inc. I would take a re-release of Actually, No Garage Life was to pretty... Leather yeah. with fucking Dave Mustaine on it. All right, we're not getting into this. We're yeah, yeah, we're, 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 not, we're not gonna talk we're about not that. Doing this. However, the, their uh, Misfits covers are pretty good. Um, <laughs> um, one of the ones I wanted to mention to you that you probably didn't know was a cover. And you probably did. Probably talked about this. But I found out about this being covered not too long ago either. Um, is The Hunter by Danzig off of Danzig, the original Danzig. Who who did that originally? Albert King was a really? blues artist. Yeah. And I had no clue. That makes clue. sense. But yeah, because Danzig totally had that vibe. Yeah. But The Hunter, it was funny because my friend Pat, who was in Decap Attack, um, I forget the band he's in now. He's in some punk act. But Decap Attack was a Philly located band you were familiar with the individuals yeah. of that they covered the hunter as well um like as part of one of their shows and that's how i actually got into that song particularly off of danzig one because you know danzig one was good for like am i demon um soul on fire you know she rides yeah you know twisted cane obviously mother mother uh <laughs> but the hunter's like on the later half of the album and i always listened to it after since i heard you know my friend's band cover that and then it took me years no idea it was a cover. But obviously, you go back and you listen to like an older blues rendition of it. It's like, okay, same thing with Where Did You Sleep Last Night? The Lead Belly version's cool. Yeah. But if I'm going to put it on a playlist, I'm probably going to listen to the Nirvana cover first. Yeah. Same thing with The Hunter by Danzig. Um, another one that I consider like that, and it's around that like same era, is I Fought the Law by The Clash. Yes. Like, I think that that cover is just, it's one of those. Like, I have, like, an idea for covers when they take on a life of their own. Yeah. Like, past what the original version was. Yeah. So, like, you know, for instance, I Fought the Law. I never think about the original version of the song. It's always The Clash. Yeah. You Really Got Me by Van Halen. It's always Van Halen. Van it's Halen. never The Kinks. Yes. Ever. Yes. All on the Watchtower. It's always Hendrix. It's never Dylan. Yes. You know? So... It, it, like, I think the Hendrix one, cause you didn't bring that up, but we might as well talk about that since we talked about it in the last episode. I think that, cause there is, again, there's a specific cover that we have in mind. Mm -hmm. That's just, you know what I mean? Well, that band actually has another cover that I'm going to put on the list. I was going to mention that. 
that, after that particular this. cover. Because, like, I, I got to bring this up in context. Let me get to there first. Yeah. Let me get to that. But the Jimi Hendrix cover of All on the Wild Side, I mean, even Bob Dylan came out and said, like, you know, his version of it was just undeniably better because he just brought so much more life to the song. Yes. Grant, the Bob Dylan version is cool. Like, you listen to it, it's like a whole different vibe. It's very, like, folky. You know, it's more like, yeah, because you know, it's, it's not as intense. But that Jimi Hendrix cover, man. If I want to think about music, it's a whole life of its own, dude. If I want to think about music as like a young, like preteen of like shit, when I first heard it and was like, "What the fuck?" Am yeah. I, like this is awesome. It was like that, and seeing like the opening to like a Tony Hawk skater game where TNT came on, I was like, right. <laughs> and he's like dropping it on the hat. I was like, "Yo, this is badass." <laughs> All on Tony the watch. I was the coolest same. guy ever. Yeah, I was like, "This is so fucking cool." But to move into that. This is what, because the song you were thinking of, this is where it comes down to like, I like both versions of this song. Mm -hmm. And they're just such a, like, I could never imagine this being covered by this band type song. This is where like you have those moments where this is a song that's done so much better, but yet it it's so much different. At the yeah. same, God of Thunder. So it was on the extended release of Human, Human. by Death. And same thing. First time ever hearing it. And what happened was I actually just had the album on and I, the song came on and I was like, this sounds super fucking familiar. So I had to check. I'm like, dude, it is. It is God of Thunder. Cause yeah. you know that intro. It's very similar. Yeah. Yes. And honestly, even past the death cover of that, I think I showed you before the, uh, the super group, VH1 super group where I had like Scott Ian from Anthrax, Gilby Clark, um, Tommy Lee. Yeah. It was. And Rob Zombie was fronting the band, and they covered God of Thunder. Yes. I think that cover is actually better than the Death version. I don't. You don't? I don't. I think Rob you know Zombie why? Just had because that feeling, man. I think Chuck's vocals, like that human era of death, yeah. was the perfect hybrid of everything you were going to get from symbolic on yeah. back to spiritual healing to scream bloody gore. Like that human was the bridge gap and he did it so well where his vocals are so like raspy and that, but they're still clean enough where you're yeah. getting everything. And yeah, I also think it's because word. this is also where we differ in terms of production value. Exactly. You got a much more polished version of it with the live <laughs> version with Rob Zombie. Yeah. Cause I don't animated album, man, that I like that ancient God of evil album going yeah. back to that. That's, yeah, that, that's me, bro. So that's the death version. Yeah. I mean, but no, that's a, it's a very cool song. Kiss has so many good songs that could blueprint into that genre where it was so easy yep. to cover them and make them like way more like any band. Like think about it, the replacements and death. Yeah. You would never see them tour together on the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would never see them tour together, nope. but they could totally cover the same band and give you just as good of fucking talent towards it. Exactly. It's, Kiss was that fucking diverse in what they were able to blueprint. 100%. Yes. Um, well, it's always because like Kiss is just like, without trying to sound like a fucking asshole, Kiss is like a starting, like, like Kiss is a good start point. Yeah. Like, like as a band, they yes. could be way better than what they are. Yeah. But for what they are, they're perfect. Yeah. But they're a good starting point. You know they're, what I mean? They're the mountain shouting to Black Sabbath. Yes. Because Black Sabbath was the same way, but they were good in their own right, where they still were blueprinting to like so many other genres to come. Yeah. <laughs> but I would rather go see Black Sabbath live than 100%. <laughs> yeah. Actually, fun, uh, I mean, not funny enough. Uh, I heard Paul Stanley's actually uh, came down with COVID. Damn. Mm hmm. Damn. 
Speaking of, rest in peace to Trouble. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Him. Fucking, of course, Metal Injection or Loudwire or whatever posted thousands of times about Corey Taylor, of course. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm surprised they didn't get photos of him in the hospital. Yeah, right? Fucking hey, dude. That We're going to have to probably at like... Uh... One one episode in the near future, we have to talk about like all the deaths from this past year so far. Yeah, like, and the been... coincidence that's after we release episodes. Yeah, it's a little weird. I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and be an asshole and be like, "Why can't these guys die sooner?" But it's like we always kind of miss the mark, and it's like by the time we go to record the next episode, it's like we completely forgot about these artists. Honestly, this is just a healthy reminder that if you have an opportunity to see a band live, especially a band, do it, that, do it, do it, do it, one hundred percent. Um, yeah, fans. I mean getting off topic a bit, but just fans of music in general, nothing compares to the live atmosphere. Yep. And even like I said it before, like I saw Bob Dylan live way past his prime. Yeah. But I saw Bob Dylan live. Mm-hmm. Even being in the same room and just having that atmosphere, he, the dude sounded like he was, you know, fresh out of surgery from fucking getting a esophagus fix. Like he sounded <laughs> horrible, but yeah. I saw Bob Dylan live. That's and true. it wasn't horrible. Fleetwood Mac. You know, I saw them with Lindsey Buckingham, original lineup. Thank God I went to that show because the next time I saw them, it was a dude from Crowded House and some other guy. And you got kind of Fleetwood Mac. And you'll probably never have that opportunity to see that band again. Yep. So especially if you're a fan of like older generation of music, uh-huh. anytime you have an opportunity to go. Absolutely. Um, Going back here to covers. Obviously, I'm going to say Van Halen. Van Halen did a whole covers album. Well, most, most. Uh, you know, whatever. Spaghetti incident was better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a bunch of covers right there. We talked about <laughs> that's so bad. Um, I think, I think when in terms of the way I'm talking about covers, like ones that kind of like supersede the originals, and you know, there's gonna be a lot of fucking like Motown people and whatever's gonna have me crucified for this one. But I feel like Van Halen's version of Dancing in the Streets is better than the original. I feel like. I feel like it gives off the vibe that the song should have given off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, where it's actually like a happy, upbeat... I mean, not saying the original one wasn't, but it was like a rebirth of the song for it to be like what it could have been. Yeah. Like, super upbeat, super poppy, and it was just like there was no better band at the point in time to do that. I think, too, it's in terms of being iconic. I mean, most of the cover songs we listed are the songs that you heard that you probably didn't realize were covers until after mm-hmm. you found out later. And like Dancing in the Street, I didn't know that was a cover for the longest time. And it's crazy too cuz even like Pretty Woman, like those songs yeah, That's another good one. Exactly. Like those songs were embedded in me already from thinking it was from that band that it probably made it that much harder to enjoy an original version of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's like almost the bias to it. Like there's certain songs where the original does outweigh. Um, but yeah, Dancing in the Street. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the song to begin with. You know, where yeah. I stand on Van Halen and their most popular tunes. But to me, that was like a very iconic Van Halen song growing up to begin with. And they bring up Philadelphia. So. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> One more I kind of do want to bring up is uh, this and uh, this another like uh, like teetering one. Mm hmm. And the only reason I'm saying this is because of the time period that it came out is the Atari's cover of Boys of Summer. Okay. I mean, I do like the the Don Henley version like a lot, mm-hmm. but the Atari's version is kind of like like a newer generation's version of it. So I once worked at the Kmart establishment. 
located down the road that's no longer here anymore. <laughs> and um, the Don Henley version, I had heard multiple times just being on the radio as a kid listening to 102.9. The Atari version, though, was overplayed on that Kmart radio <laughs> so many fucking times. And, and then, like, the worst moments. Like, I just got yelled at because, like, my fucking section was all screwed up. I had to go front and face toys, which is crazy because when you front and face toys, you got, like, action figures and packaging that's not upright. So yeah. you set them all up real good and then, like, dominoes. One falls over. And at the <laughs> same exact time, it's like... <laughs> and I'm like, oh, dude, Atari, stop, dude. Like, not right now. And it's worse because due to contracting issues, if you ever go into uh, a convenience store of any sort and you only hear, like, you know, half of a song, they do that for contracting issues because to play the whole song, it costs that much more. Yeah. So retail radio can only get so many sections. So then it's like, you know, cuts out like, boys of some... Blue light special on like, and then it cuts yeah. right into an advertisement for <laughs> and dude, and it was always at the wrong fucking moment. Like all the toys just fell over. Like Spider Man knocked down the entire Marvel cast. I can see. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> in the, and the connect on the blue light special by downloading us at Kmart.com. And I'm like, oh, and I just got yelled at. Like my job's on the line. Yeah, right. And I got fucking Atari like in my ear. The wrong moment. So. Yeah, but I can totally understand because that song is a total like top down driving down a wild yes. song. It is like as overplayed as it can be, is cor- like sunglasses at night type song. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but it is, it is just such an iconic song. It's just funny that you brought that up because I have horrible, horrible <laughs> memories of that the, song. You know, there's like no denying like how good of a song it was originally. Yes. And the cover kind of breathed new life it literally, into like, it. And that's the thing about it. They're very similar almost to a point where it is just like a revamping of it. Like yeah. there is no, like we try to do this in a certain way and we also didn't try to do it note for note. Yeah. First, I think they even change it. Deadhead sticker on the cattle. What did they, they change that lyric to something more modern. I know what you're talking about. I, I forget, I forget the, actual the band lyric. that they change it to. That's like supposed to be more of an eighties band as opposed I got to find this out now. Hold on. All right. Well, while you're doing this, I'm going to talk about another one. Okay. Um, One that I didn't realize was a cover until much later on after I've heard it was the Beatles Twist and Shout. Oh, yes. I, I had no idea it was Ivory Brothers tune. Yeah. Um, But you talk about a song that fucking became way more iconic than the original. You've had it? Yeah. What is it? So on the original version, is that on the road today, I saw a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac. They were smart enough to out on the road today. I saw a black flag sticker on a Cadillac. Oh, That's pretty badass yeah. now because I knew there was something in that song that would like change slightly. That I was like, all right, it's pretty fucking cool. Well, they had to throw the black flag in there so they could be like a little bit. Edgy. It's relevant, but it's also relevant because the time they're releasing it. If you think back to like the, what was classic music at that point, yeah, and still kind of close in times, mm-hmm. I mean, black flag was like literally like the green day of real punk back then. I guess you could yeah. say. Like, they were, like, the face, but they weren't the hardest fucking thing out there. Whoops. Did you say that? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah, it is kind of funny, though. You know when they're writing those lyrics, they're like, what band can we say? I know. What's going to make us seem cool? Yeah. Black Flag. Yeah. Saw <laughs> <laughs> a morbid angel sticker on it. No, no, that doesn't work. Yeah, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. That doesn't work. Saw a circle jerk sticker. No, 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 no. no. Like, okay, Black Flag. All right, that works. <laughs> Everyone knows that logo. 
It's kind of like the same reason why we bring death up all the time. So it like makes it seem like we're way edgier than. But it's normal. funny because in our culture of uh, music taste, death is basically like the Green Day of death. Yeah, metal. literally. <laughs> at this point, I thought it was cool as fuck when I found death. And all oh, dude, I thought I found out about that. I thought it was the coolest shit ever. <laughs> like I, like dude, I remember like everyone's listening to, like, like bring me the horizon as and I shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, y- you'll never guess the band I just found. Yeah. They're so heavy. They're just called. Death, <laughs> and then you get around like, and then you get around like friends that I've been around the entire time. Like, bro, you fucking serious? I listen to Clit Eater, like you know what I mean? Clit Eater, like something. <laughs> oh man, um, but yeah, let's just settle on that too. The greatest, and we're gonna just flat out say it. Probably, the, arguably, and you can fight us on this. The best cover of all time, better than its original. The original's just as good, but the most iconic and best cover of all time is Painkiller. Yes, Painkiller off the of Sound of Perseverance by Death. Yep. Hands down. Um, yeah, I mean, I only had a, I only had one more on this, on my list that I didn't talk about, which I actually didn't know is a cover until I was looking up covers to bring, uh, you know, like ideas. Tainted Love. Yeah. That's actually a cover. Yeah. And then it became another cover, cover when fucking Marilyn Manson became did way it. more iconic in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fucking horrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, that's the thing again, though, is because sometimes, because that's the thing with these covers is more times than not, one can overshadow another. Mm-hmm. You know, like all the covers we basically listed, especially like Dancing in the Street, Pretty Woman. Yeah. Were so made to be their own that it was very difficult to even acknowledge that it was a cover until like you had yeah. to do some research. But Tainted Love, the original version, already held... Not enough to a point where that first cover of it became so iconic in its own realm. And then Marilyn Manson goes and does it and brings it to a whole nother generation. Yeah. But it does it like he took the Marilyn Manson way. So people like that song for such a different reason than the cover that it was done by. Whenever I hear that song, I always think of Coneheads. That's what I was going to say. That first one. Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Like, that's how that song became, in my opinion, that's how it became so iconic to begin with. Oh, 100%. 100%. Oh, you know which other one I wanted to bring up too? I just I, like I'm sitting here. I was like trying to it's remember, trying to remember. Um, Voodoo Child, yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughan's version yes. over uh, Hendrix's. Yeah. I mean, dude, like I love Hendrix's version, but Stevie Ray Vaughan, I think, fucking just destroyed it. I think. I mean, it's kind of sacrilege, but then again, they're both dead, so they kind of have like their own plateaus. Yeah. I think Stevie Ray Vaughan was a better guitar player than Hendrix. Maybe not as innovative because of the time periods, you know, obviously. But with Stevie Ray Vaughan having the the influence of Hendrix, because apparently, well, I didn't. I mean, not apparently. It was the truth. He was like the biggest fucking Hendrix nut like ever. Yes, he took everything Hendrix did, and I, I mean, in my opinion, I think he went further with it so obviously we know where you stand on the randy Rhodes and zach wilde stance as well so that's why i'm not even going to try to debate <laughs> the stevie ray ron Jimi hendrix comment you've just made i'll let you have that we can just we, we're going to move on from this together listen I, i'll give you the randy Rhodes and zach wilde one i'll okay. give you that because you can't have one without the other exactly same thing with steve ray Vaughan and Jimi hendrix. hendrix you can't have one without the other and then eric clapton you could bring him into the same mix with all those blues yeah. rock guitarists that came later in time just for me personally I think Stevie Ray Vaughan's like my personal He's more flavor. Your flavor. Exactly. Like I like the rawer edge of Jimi Hendrix. Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, that, that cover in itself, I mean. Even Superstition, when he covered Stevie Wonder, that was fucking good very too. Very good. Yeah. I mean, 
He's he was good. I'm not hating on Stevie Ray Vaughan. No, 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 I don't realm. think you are. I think Stevie Ray Vaughan is arguably in my top seven. Um, I'd have to like again. We would have to go back and do that again. I think Johnny Ramone's better than him. Apparently, yeah. Fuck Mark <laughs> Knopfler, dude. I don't know why I keep going back to Dire Straits when I think of that list too. Like Mark Knopfler got so disrespected. Oh my to god, Johnny Ramone. It was unbelievable. We're not gonna get into this. I don't know why you do this. What are you gonna bring up next? You two's fucking album on my yeah. iPhone. Um, <laughs> So the last two I wanted to mention too. Uh, so Talking Heads, this must be the place. Naive Melody. Um, one of my favorite renditions of that was on their Stop Making Sense live album. The Lumineers actually cover that. Really? On their self-title on an expanded edition. Huh. And I didn't even know it. And the same thing happened. I had this album on because I was trying to like rediscover like modern bands that kind of like disappeared or became too over hyped. Yeah. And I had this on, and the song played, and you couldn't tell it was it at all. But then the lyrics came in. I'm like, get the <laughs> fuck out of here. And, dude, they do it so well, where it 100% could have been a Lumineer song, especially because that song requires so much more, um, you know, like, tech to it and the way they do their instruments and yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of synth behind it. Um, but they do it so well. So, like, the Lumineer's cover of that song, in my opinion, I couldn't even say it's better but it's the same way of like listening to certain covers. Like Painkiller by Judas Priest, I can listen to just as often as Painkiller by Death. Mm-hmm. But I think the Death version is better. Same thing with this cover. I can listen to both of them equally as often. Talking Heads will still find better, but like this version of it is so fucking good. Exactly. So fucking good. And then the one, the last one I wanted to mention because it didn't get brought up, which is the most ironic thing. Because in most sense, this would seem like it was a cover in reverse. Hurt by Johnny Cash. Yes. Nine Inch Nails song. Yeah. Downward Spiral. Released 10 years, I want to say, prior. I think Downward Spiral was 91. It makes you wonder, though, like, was was uh, Johnny Cash, like, a fan Had of Nine to Inch be, Nails? Dude. Or do you think his people were like, listen? No, I think he was a fan because there's several other covers on this album that remind me of, like, he was probably into that scene. That's Had, crazy. And I don't blame, like, because if you think about the, the type of person Johnny Cash was, that he was 90s, a fucking rebel, dude. That 90s scene of music was the absolute staple to, like, exactly. the evolution of that rebellious attitude. Obviously, the 80s, the, the 70s, even going back to Elvis, you could say there were a lot of things that were causing a revolution in terms of, like, that rebellious style music. Mm-hmm. Johnny Cash especially as well. But that 90s scene, man, was like, that was like the first time kids just started saying, like, fuck you to your parents. And oh, like, it was getting dang. a little crazy for a period of time. <laughs> now it's like totally blown out of proportion. But that 90s wave was just. Yeah. It wasn't like, so yeah, I think the Nine Inch Nails co- uh, song, the original of it, like Trent Reznor is just a musical genius, in my opinion. Yes. He's a very talented producer. He's just a very talented individual in the music. He's very scene. undersold. He very, he's also a fucking dick. Yeah, he's a fucking prick. Yeah. But, but he was heavily involved in a lot of productions and with other bands. Um, but that, yeah, that version I heard is very good. But the Johnny Cash version, man. Bro, you're going through some shit and you want to listen to that depressing music to enhance your depression <laughs> to like good levels. Like, I don't know how that works for some reason. Yeah. Like, like I'm sad I've, as fuck. Let I me listen to some sad worse. fucking music. Yeah. yeah don't <laughs> make me feel better. Like, I'm really skitzing out on cocaine. You know what'll help me right now? Fucking Adderall. Yeah. Give me some more out. You know what I mean? Like, is that, what does that make sense? Um, that's true. But yeah, I think the hurt cover by Johnny Cash, absolutely phenomenal. Another one of those, like, you could take it or leave it depending on your feel, but they're mm-hmm. just, that hurt version of by Johnny Cash is so good. Yeah. So good. You know which other song too? Uh I don't want to say necessarily better, but probably more iconic than the original. 
definitely not better, but definitely more iconic is Live and Let Die, the Guns N' Roses cover yeah. versus the Wings. Yeah. Or Paul McCartney and the Wings. That's another one that I was very confused about because I think I had heard the Paul McCartney I, version. I thought the Guns period. N' Roses version was the original. So did I. I'm like, yeah. man, Guns N' Roses is fucking crazy. Yeah. Man, they changed a lot since Appetite. Yeah. I- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, way fucking out there. Like, the whole time I thought, like, maybe Axl Rose, like, took over, like, songwriting for the band. Because, like, obviously you hear November Rain and all that other shit. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, Guns N' Roses, like, like you know, as a kid, I'm like, I can't wait to hear what they did next. Yeah, I... Um, the Spaghetti Incident. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> the only reason. I, because there's a lot of covers on that album. Like, I mentioned it before. Like, ain't it fun that they cover by the Dead Boys? Is, yeah. It's a fairly good cover. Um one that I wanted to mention too, probably my last one and one of my one of my favorites actually from like the classic rock scene was I heard it through the grapevine. Oh fucking by hey. Clearwater. Yeah. I think that is one of those again moments where you have the this is what it's also great about covering a song. You're taking a genre of music that you're obviously showing your influence from. Mm-hmm. But depending on how you do it, you can show why it's your influence and how you're able to bridge your music to make these songs your own. Exactly. But also still hold that level of integrity of what that brand of music was doing. Because um, obviously, like you think about some of the bands we mentioned with Death covering Kiss, mm-hmm. you wouldn't really think in a whole regard that you know Death was developing their influence from Kiss based on what you listen to. But exactly. then you also have to think what Death came from. Mm-hmm. Kiss had to have been an influence. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there wasn't somewhere that down level, the family tree. Yeah, there wasn't that level of like you know Morbid Angel and all these other bands that kind of came later. Cannibal mm-hmm. Corpse that kind of came later. You know, and then you see the more modern death metal bands that come out today. Yeah. They have a lot to go off of that they can build from. Death didn't have much to really say. This is how we're going to do this style of music. And then you see the same thing with um, you know, I heard it through the grapevine. You know, that southern bluesy rock, there was already a level of establishment there, but Credence was early enough where you still had to build from the roots of like where you were, that music was coming from. Yeah. And like that's the problem with artists today because now even like modern covers are just like, we're going to redo this same thing. Exactly. Or we're going to try same. to do it our way. Like the Post Malone thing with fucking Nirvana. Like I get it, dude. You're into it, but you can obviously see the music you produce and perform. There's no influencer Nirvana in there. No. Like, you can probably say, I like Nirvana, but you're not obviously building from the predecessors to create exactly. music. So then when you turn around and try to make it your own, <laughs> we see what happens. Yeah, it just doesn't work. I mean, that would be like, I don't know. I'm like trying to think here, like, of how, like, what kind of, uh, like, situation I could, like, do. Let me think here. This would be like... This would be like Nirvana covering, like, uh, it would be like Nirvana, actually, it would be like Nirvana covering a Van Halen song. Yeah. Exactly like it. Yeah. Because you know that there was that influence there. Kurt did admire Van Halen, and... Their music sounds absolutely nothing like it. Nothing. And you'd never be able to draw a comparison between the two at all. It would literally be like Nirvana covering Running with the Devil. Yeah. Like, would it be good? Probably. Yeah. But, but, that's, but would that's, it sound like it? Absolutely and not. And that's like the perfect thing because with all the Nirvana covers, you know, Nirvana did have like a bluesier influence. And you can yes. hear that. Like, so, like something in the way that has that dark yeah. lead belly tone to it. 
That's like one of my favorite Nirvana songs. D7 by the Wipers. You can totally hear that they brought so much from the Wipers when they were trying to create it. Because the Wipers were more on the alternative side than just like the hardcore punk scene. Yep. You know, they were a traditional punk band on their site, but they had exactly the same direction Nirvana was heading to begin with. So that's the thing with like covers and certain things. It's It shows that level of importance that you're really trying to build from your predecessors, take your influences and put into a level of talent as opposed to like, let me just keep in like we did the previous week. Let me keep redoing the same bullshit that's already exactly. been there. And that cover is like that perfect opportunity to show you like, this is what we like and this is how we can perform it. Sometimes it doesn't fucking work out, but then like just goes to show you that some things don't fucking translate. Yeah. And um, yeah. My recommendation later on, too, is going to be a cover as well. I didn't want to bring it up, but I think it's appropriate. Speaking of not translating, you can only hear this podcast in English. <laughs> I was trying to find a segue into something. Did you usually do a boop, random quote or like boop, random line. Boop. Speaking of. Truth tree moment. <laughs> so what do you think? Is there covers that we didn't bring up that you think we should have? I feel like we covered between like the one from season two and... And now there's I feel so like many that we could like do. We could do like an episode like this every fucking season. Probably. And probably do more and more covers each time. But what do you think? Uh, do you think that we dick ride on death a little too much? Do you feel like Nirvana did not do any of their cover songs justice? Do you think Post Malone's the best cover artist to ever do it? <laughs> do you love Spaghetti Incident? Do you feel like Kiss has the best versions of all their music? Write to us. Do you think Kiss is better than Black Sabbath? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even take that serious. There's probably someone out there. If you are that person, <laughs> contact us. Find us on social media. Facebook.com slash RETM podcast. Instagram and Twitter at RETM podcast. YouTube.com search Rage Against the Mainstream podcast. And if all else fails, RETM podcast at gmail.com. Let's get into our suggestions for this week. My suggestion for you this week is to check out the new album from John Mayer, Sob Rock. Song being Till the Right One Comes. Um, listening to this album so far, really enjoyed it. This is actually the first song that I heard from it. Um, it just has like, it's got like these cool vibes and like these 80s type feel. And, if if you if you're a fan of John Mayer, you're really gonna enjoy it. If you're a fan of just guitar music in general, you're gonna really enjoy it. Singer songwriter, gonna enjoy it. Long story short, if you don't like this song, you're probably an asshole. That's a good consensus. Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm gonna recommend a cover. Um, and this is another moment where me just listening to an album and a song came on. So I'm like, wow, that sounds super fucking familiar. And then it's a cover song. Um, but. The album I'm recommending is In the Nightside Eclipse by the black metal band Emperor. came out in 94. The song is track nine. It's called A Fine Day to Die, covered by Bathory. Nice. A Fine Day to Die. <laughs> Bathory's a band that we never bring up ever. I know. And they're just, they were right there with Mayhem and one of the most influential black metal bands after Venom. Yeah. And they get no notoriety. <laughs> Damn shame. Maybe all that'll change sometime in the near future. That's why I brought him on here. I had a thought. <laughs> Came to me in my sleep. We don't talk about Bathory. Yeah, right? 
You know, like wake up at 2 a.m. Oh, bathroom. Yeah, all those memes where it's like, where's that shirt? Where's my yeah. social security card? We haven't mentioned Bathory on this show in quite some time. Now here's my moment. I deadass had a song recommendation. I totally changed it at the last minute because I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> That's funny. Give him enough credit. <laughs> if you like all of our crazy antics, don't forget to go back through our back catalog of all of our past released episodes and soon to be past video footage. Especially our first episode. One day that'll become an NFT and you'll be able to fucking buy that shit and yeah. it'll be fucking super famous one day and you'll be rich. Yeah, pretty much. Buy our first episode at. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of wraps up for this week. Um, find us on social media. It's facebook.com slash RATM podcast. Instagram and Twitter at RATM podcast. YouTube.com. Search Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast. And as always, you find us on our Gmail account. Gmail dot or gmail.com slash RTM podcast. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. RTM podcast at gmail.com. But until then, this is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off for the evening. As always, I'm Bill. I'm Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thank you for listening.